Hey everybody, welcome back to Bald Move Prestige. We got a great film for you today. It's 2002's autobiographical. No, it's not autobiographical. It's just biographical. Semi-biographical. Uh, maybe, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that. Uh, yeah. Catch me if you can. This film was directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, it was written by Jeff Nathanson. It's based on the book Catch Me If You Can by Frank Abagnale uh, uh, and Stan Redding. And it's got music by Johnny Williams, John Jazzy Johnny Williams, not doing your tradi- traditional marches and all that kind of stuff. Just just doing a damn fine kind of jazzy, breezy score. I really liked it. This movie stars everybody. Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio uh, as Frank Abagnale, uh, Tom Hanks as Carl Hanratty, the FBI agent that uh, chases him down throughout the movie. Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken was big back then. I forgot how like he was in mm-hmm. everything uh, as Frank's dad. Martin Sheen uh, is in this movie as a big, scary dad lawyer. Amy Adams, fresh faced, braced faced. Amy Adams is in this movie. One of her first roles, I believe. Um, James Brolin is in this movie. Jennifer Garner is in this movie. Elizabeth Banks is in this movie. The real Frank Abagnale is in this movie. Did you know that, Jim? Oh, no. Where is he? He's one. The, he's one of the French French police officers that throws cuffs on Leo, uh. at the end, which is pretty cool. Pretty cool detail. Uh, it has a very cool credit sequence. I hadn't seen that. I've seen I saw this movie quite a few times. I think I had it on DVD and I was really enamored in film back in the day and I watched it like five or six times. I hadn't seen it in probably 15 years. Wow. What a fun movie. What do mm-hmm. you think of it? Yeah, uh, that's the impression I had the first time I watched it. And again, when I watched it this time, uh, I forgot that Steven Spielberg directed this thing. So when I saw his name on it, I was like, OK, this this is maybe not like the finest thing Steven Spielberg has ever made, but it mm-hmm. has that like effortlessly watchable quality that all of his movies do. Um Yeah, he didn't phone this in like oh, he no, did. No. A, he he's Steven Spielberg, this motherfucker. And and I, I understand that it was kind of like a almost not not exactly a lark, but like back in the late 80s, early 90s, DreamWorks SKG or I think is what it is, bought the movie rights to Frank's biography. Catch me if you can. And Gore Verbinski wanted to do it. And then I, I, I kid there's a couple other kind of darling directors that kind of lined up and the availability of different stars. At one point, James Gandolfini was going to be the FBI agent, which would have been cool. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of kept on being in limbo. And then like Leonardo had did the, the Scorsese film gangs in New York. And that took him off the board. And, but, and, and there's a brief window where everything kind of lined up and Spielberg kind of like, well, fuck it. I'll direct it. And wow, he really does. Like there's so much great Spielberg stuff. Like he, like um, some, some really cool, like POV shots uh, and just, you know, getting a great natural performance out of Leo. Who's playing pretty young in this film. Yeah. I, I thought it did a great job. And again, Johnny Williams, you know, not doing his typical Johnny Williams stuff. That's the thing. Everyone says, ah, oh, Johnny Williams songs all sound the same. And they only cite like Star Wars, Superman and Raiders. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. Schindler's List does not sound like that, man. <laughs> Catch me if you can does not sound. This is a classically trained jazz musician born of a jazz drummer, uh, a father. He he knows his way around a lot of different music and he, he crushed it on this. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, this is a pretty light and breezy and effortlessly watchable film, but there's a lot more darkness and melancholy. Um, you know, now that I'm seen as an older man. Uh, there's a lot of like sadness. Like this is essentially. Oh, yeah. This is essentially kind of like a, a, an adult home alone. It's a Christmas movie, okay. number one. Sure. Yeah. Way more of a Christmas movie than I would have ever suspected. Uh, easily could go on your annual Christmas watch if you're just judging by how much Christmas lights, how much heartfelt Christmas scenes are in it, how much Christmas music is in it. Mm-hmm. And it's about a little boy who gets left kind of behind by his family, runs away and scams his way through a life of crime, <laughs> squatting in places that aren't his. Like, it's very, you know, Kevin uh, McAllister, right? Sure. Yeah. Now that you mention it. Uh, that's kind of a pretty apt description of this movie. Um, and a lot of my big questions about this film come, and there aren't a ton of questions to ask. Like the movie is not to be, you know, examined too closely, but uh, like, why does Frank Abagnale Jr. do 
the things he does? Why does he live this life of scamming? And I think it is, you know, several things um, probably brought together here, but I was hoping we could discuss that later in the podcast. Yeah. Do you want to, um, I guess now we've had our general thoughts out of the way, maybe we should tell people about what this film is about and then sure. they can, because again, if you haven't seen this movie, it's nearing 20 years old. It'll be 20 years old next year, which shocks me, always shocks me. And I'm confronted with the reality of my physical age. Um, but if you haven't seen it, it's a, it's a great time. And, uh, the, the setup is, um, Frank Abagnale Jr. is one of the most prolific and successful con men in American history. Um, he, at, the, at a very young age, like he started scamming like at 15, but at, between 17 and like 21, he stole millions of dollars from corporations such as Pan Am, uh, various hospitals, um, uh, by essentially highly sophisticated social engineering and check fraud. Mm-hmm. And he is chased down by an FBI agency who is just now kind of like getting the fact that this is like, you know, you can tell that a lot of FBI agents think this this bank fraud detail is bullshit. Like they're they're they they joined the service to ch- to, to chase down robbers. Yeah, you know, have shootouts in the uh, street or something like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they want to find the next John Dillinger and Mm -hmm. and gun him down. And uh, they're kind of like, this is this. But this is the way things are now. Um, And this this kid is just chased literally all over the country and all over the world. But he's FBI agents. He stays one step ahead of him. And the question, catch me if you can. Can these people catch him? Um, So, yeah, it's uh, it's I I think it's it's really interesting. I've never seen a take on this. It reminds me kind of like those. like like the movies like uh what was it called like taking the house about the the MIT oh, yeah. uh, blackjack guys like it's essentially yes this is crime and there are victims and and some of the victims are a little bit more poignant than others but mostly the victims are like giant institutions and it's literally a child so it's like one of those things where it's like the rare crime that you can kind of like no one gets killed mm-hmm. no one even gets seriously injured it's like those one one's rare where it's like just swashbuckling it's exciting to watch this kid just with 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 guts and balls and oh my god the guts and balls this kid have in some of these scenes. Uh, yeah. so that's that's the pitch if you haven't seen it. Um, and it was a very successful movie at the time. We said it's not you know Spielberg's biggest movie or whatever, but it made three hundred million more than its budget of fifty two million. So by all that's rights, like making six times your money is pretty damn successful. Uh, and it was nominated for a couple awards. Um. Not really the film itself, but the music. Uh, John Williams was nominated for Best Original Score that year. Uh, he lost to a movie called Frida, which I haven't seen. Um, and then Best Supporting Frito? Actor, Christopher Walken. Uh, did, he, did lost he, he lost to a movie called... He lost to a movie called Frito? Frida. Oh, Frida. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Frida Kahlo story. I was like, what the Frida? What the fuck? I don't even remember that. Yeah, he lost to a Frito um, Lays commercial. Yeah, it was unfortunate. <laughs> Damn it, Johnny. Maybe better luck next time. Uh, uh, and Christopher Walken lost the, to Chris Cooper in adaptation. So I could see it. And the other thing is like Christopher Walken, um, kind of a shaky nomination for best supporting actor. I think like, he's fantastic in this movie. Uh, he like, is, but he's in like five minutes of it. Sure. Sure. It's not a big part, but it is. It, it's so Christopher Walken, you mentioned him being big at the time and he was, but he was, he was, Christopher Walken right he's like that thing that you think of as Christopher Walken um, was just starting to like bloom and I think everybody was like starting to think of Christopher Walken as that guy who does the silly voice and the the weird mannerisms I hit this This movie is not hunk of metal up my ass cowbell Uh all that Uh, this is not that Christopher Walken this is the serious like deer hunter actor Christopher Walken being extremely charismatic and able to bring like a deep sadness when he needs to on the screen. I, I was very impressed by his performance. 
you're right. Maybe I'm being because, like, you know, if you're going to give uh, what's Hannibal Lecter, um, Anthony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins, we're going to give him, you know, a, a best uh, supporting actor nod for his five minutes of work in Silence of the Lambs and then maybe give it to Walken here. The other thing is, like, Walken brings a lot of the tools that that he doesn't get to flex a lot. Like, he dances in this movie and he's yeah. a, like a classically trained, very good actor or, or dancer. I don't know if mm-hmm. I can't remember the, uh, the style. The, the, but 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 the 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 yeah. um the move the music video though he's in a couple years back that kind of like oh, blew his spot Moby? up where he yeah was that what it was I couldn't remember if it was yeah I think it was a Moby video but he does like this like whole routine and he's like really charming and he gets to do that in this movie um so yeah maybe maybe he he does deserve it. and that's the emotional between the emotional core of this movie is between uh you know Frank and his son. Yeah. And it's also between Frank, uh, Frank Jr. and the FBI agent. Mm-hmm. So for those to work, you got to have a really good actor. Speaking of Tom Hanks is fantastic in this movie. Incredible. Playing this like sawed off Boston kid that is like a super FBI nerd in this giant, you know, growing financial crimes division that nobody really respects. And like I, somebody was on Twitter, it's like uh, when I was talking about this being a, a low key Christmas movie, said, ah, yeah, I liked it when he's fodging the checks because uh-huh. Tom Hanks is eyes. Ah, you fodge, you fodge in the checks there, Frankie. Uh, it's it's really it's 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 a really winning Tom Hanks role, too. Yeah. And the things I appreciate about Tom Hanks are in full display here. It's, it's the little touches with Tom Hanks like he can go very broad and very funny. But he's also yeah. able to bring a lot of that just through the smallest things. Like there's a scene where he's chasing down Frank in a motel. He thinks he's got him in his room and, and he's going down the hall and he points his gun at the housekeeper or whatever. And she like freaks out and he he whips out his badge to show it to her. But when he opens it up, it's mm-hmm. backwards like she can't even see it and he's not paying attention. He's just like flipping his badge up at her FBI lady, whatever sweeping her with the gun, like yeah. sticking stick a gun on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so great. good. That's one of the so best. That. Honestly, one of the best scenes in, in the whole movie um, and the one that I thought has got the biggest laughs just. Uh, you know, he's caught, got Frank caught dead to rights and Frank in like 60 seconds convinces him that he is a secret service agent that got there got the collar five minutes before and he yep. uses all this stuff like it is kind of genius like this relationship with this neighbor blind neighbor and his son and the fact that he knows so much about like the equipment though he mm-hmm. he convinces this seasoned fbi officer that he's uh, a secret service agent and and gets away scot-free one of the many times he does yeah and dicaprio so good in that scene I mean, the way like yeah. when his when he's facing Tom Hanks, uh, you know, Carl Hanratty, he's cool and calm and composed and just smooth as butter. And then he turns away How to the camera that? and you can almost see him shaking. Right. That he's like, yeah, th- this is either I'm either going to prison here or this is going to work. And he doesn't know which, you know, I, we, I, we've talked about Leonardo's a really great ability to demonstrate very strong emotion like you know i've, I've said yeah. like i don't know what it feels like to realize your wife drowned your children but it probably looks a little something like what he did on shutter island i don't know how it feels to see your wife like jump out of a window right in front of you but it probably looks a little bit like what he does in inception yeah he's very good at showing portraying a person that wheels are turning and spinning. Mm-hmm. Like there's a couple of things in this movie where he has to carry 60 seconds of just Frank putting details together about a situation. And, and like, it's only interesting because of what Leo's bringing to it. And he's so good at just like showing him calculating the angles and, 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 you know, trying to read the person and, and see what is the thing to say. And sometimes he goes, it's, it's funny because there's a couple of times in the movie where I think he tries the level, but the other person doesn't get it. And like, he's like, you know, like, oh, I'm just going to give up trade and tell the truth. But the other person, it's interpreted as like a joke. Yeah. Or like a misunderstanding because, you know, he's carried himself again. It's it is hard. OK, can we talk about this for a minute? It is hard to believe that a 17 year old did all of these things. Yeah. What is and your I don't know read? If Leo complicates that um, or if he enhances that idea because he's like so he's like a 30 year old or something he he, he's roughly 30 ish years old at this point 
Um, and he doesn't when when he's asked to be a fifteen year old boy in the first part of the movie, he it doesn't doesn't work super well. Yeah, they sweep his bangs down like that's gonna help give him a boy cut. Um, and they make him sit in a twin size mattress with like you know uh, the covers pulled up to his chin so that it, he looks like a little. It almost works. Like it, it's it almost close. does for for a twenty eight year old guy to be playing that young. It's shocking yeah. how well it does work. Um, but and he honestly, just like looks Titanic young, era. Right? Titanic era Leo would have crushed it, even though he was like 24 at that at that time too. Right, he's got right. a baby. He's got a bit of a baby face. He does. Uh, he looks young, and I, I don't know if that helps or hurts because when I'm these people behind, you know, the desk at, at the Pan Am, uh, you know, airline desk, or I'm, you know, one of the doctors uh, who's interviewing him, looking across at this hospital, I'm thinking this kid looks real young, and mm-hmm. I imagine the real Frank Abagnale probably looked older than he actually was right whereas this kid you know kind of looks the age that he's playing in yeah. in this movie so i don't know it's a little bit like harder to believe when you put leonardo dicaprio who looks so young in that role have you ever so i don't know if i've said this before but i actually met frank at a cybersecurity conference about 15 years ago he really? was he was he did he did a an hour keynote address on like uh Fodgeries. Um <laughs> Fod check Fodgen. No, he did it on uh, essentially it's what it's um god damn it, what is the social engineering. Uh, social engineering, thank you. So what's the human side of hacking? Do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was given he was also signing book giving away copies of his books and signing and in the hotel room later, um he's like just like really interesting guy. Um, and in the hotel room later, I was like leafing through and he credits, I guess that he like his hair was graying in high school. Like oh. He's one of those ones that was like going, going gray. So like, okay. that it like, yes, he did look baby face, but also the early graying. And I guess his hair maybe started thinning as well. So he did look older than that you would expect. Total sense. Yeah. And also just in the sixties, if you roll up in like a, you know, uh, a airline uniform, the mm-hmm. idea that you would go through all the hoops required, which that's everything. People greatly estimate how many hoops there were in front of people sure. at the time. Uh, it just, it just kind of carried the day. And with his kind of natural charisma and kind of like acting like you belong there mm-hmm. and it, it carried the day. Quick now, thinking. having said that, apparently this movie is fairly accurate to the book, but there's a lot of questions about, the accuracy of the bio- biography that he co-wrote with this guy and boy, the layers of trying to uncover what's the truth when you're talking about the biography of a con man. Yeah. <laughs> who was, who was, who was, uh, you know, uh, trying we're pretending to be a, a pilot, a doctor, a lawyer before he's in his, even in his twenties. Like, I don't, that's uh, how, how do you even do the investigation behind that? Mm hmm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how you would. Um, yeah, I've, I've read a little bit of the the wiki article on this movie, and Frank was saying like, "Oh yeah, they they embellished a few things. Like my, uh, I, I was not only a child, um, right? His mother never got remarried, things like that, right. which add an emotional punch to this movie that I think you know I sure did." Spielberg, and this is the thing we always talk about, like, oh, how you know you're writing a movie and you get to this point where you need something, but it's not it's not real enough. Well, guys like Steven Spielberg, they just add it in because it, make it, it makes the movie better. It's not about you know being true to reality. You can you can right. call it based on a true story and then just run or with this it. was an inspired like that's oh, the thing it's like based okay. is but then if you go inspired by a true story, then yeah. you can make up because there's a love uh, like for example. um, there's no F, uh, FBI agent named, uh, uh, what is it, Carl? Um, Hanratty. Hattery? Um, Hanratty. 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 Uh, it was some other dude that didn't want his name being used, so they yeah. changed a couple details of that, and I guess they changed a lot of stuff to make that more emotionally resonant, because, yeah, in, in real life, like if uh, the, the details, I think, of the crimes are pretty specific, but a lot of the personal details, they give it that emotional core, because at the end, that that's the that's an interesting question because I can't tell you why Frank the real Frank Abagnale Jr. did the things he did, but the movie makes a pretty compelling case. Yeah, which again is fictionalized, but like it's um, and this is something that Spielberg loves to traffic in uh, the effects of broken homes. Mm-hmm. You know, strained relationships between parents, strained relationships between uh, children, children wanting to 
uh, be looked up and respect. I mean, this goes back to fucking Indiana Jones. Like sure. his ultimate arc was for his dad to love him and and for him to, you know, love his father. Yeah. Uh, he loves that shit. And it works really well in this movie. Yeah. Um, maybe now's as good a time to get into it as any. Uh, I, I mean, I definitely think there are multiple aspects to it. Um, one of those being like, he's running from this decision he has to make. Right. And then this broken home that you're talking about, um, th- there's a scene in the movie where he's asked to decide which parent he wants to live with. And instead of doing that, he just runs literally runs right. away from the situation. Um, right. and you get the feeling that throughout the course of this entire movie, he's, that's one of the things he's running from. The other thing is like, you know, trying, trying to make your parents proud of you. I, I, I get the feeling like it's, it's a little bit of that, but it's also like sort of seeing the, the things that his dad has and the life that his dad has created, right. Being honored at the rotary club, um, Mm -hmm. you know, having these nice Cadillacs, he's kind of obsessed with Cadillacs through this whole movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, all these things that like were in his father's life, you can tell that he is not exactly envious of, but he wants for himself and he knows that his father would want for him too. And he's kind of chasing that down. Um, and, and then it's tragic when it all, you know, comes crashing down as it inevitably will. It comes crashing down on Frank Abendale senior's part. And junior has to look at that. And, and he meets several times with his dad after he's run away and his life seems to be getting worse and worse. Right. Um, Mm-hmm. At first, it was just, oh, well, the, the tax collectors are after him, whatever, and he brushes it off. And then, you know, he's got to sell the Cadillac, and he brushes that off, and then his wife leaves him, brushes that off. It, it's just a downward spiral. by the spiral. end, he doesn't even have, like, it's the, the pinstripe suit. He doesn't even have that. He's wearing, like, a post office worker's, you know, he just right. got, he's got nothing. But there's an interesting wrinkle of, of, about all that, um, but... There is a little bit of like this kind of like royalty in exile, like an Anastasia kind of Romanoff feel of this boy who is like a prince, right? His dad is like the president of the Rotary Club. He's got this respected uh, department store. He's got this beautiful, glamorous wife. They have this big, you know, not mansion, but well off home for the in the 50s and 60s for sure. He's going to a private academy. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got the little crest on his lapel pocket. He's right. going to Rushmore um, and then he loses it. And there's like this idea of like him. He's kind of like uh, one of Targaryens walking around in Essos trying to regain his crown. Hmm. Like he want all the things that were taken from his dad, a great man. Yeah. But I saw a really interesting take on I think it was r slash true film. The like movie snob Reddit where this guy had a really interesting take of like um because I, I thought that like Leonardo got this like desperation gambit from his dad that was like, you know, this low stakes confidence scheme. And they and, and that was like the, f- the first time his dad is usually a pretty, you know, straight edge kind of guy. But, you know, he lost a little bit and uh, something's gone wrong in the store and he got behind his taxes. But this guy laid out a compelling case that like this guy might have had his whole life be a lie as well. Like, you know. It's really easy to imagine senior? Frank Senior. Yeah. Oh yeah. In, no, in I fully Paris, France, getting this lady to go back to America with him and saying, "Oh yeah, I'm rich and I've got this and my dad owns that." And he's like running confidence scams to kind of like mm-hmm. get this lifestyle and you're seeing Frank Senior crash and burn. Frank Jr. doesn't know any of this. Like for, to, like none yeah. of this is like text in the movie. It's all subtext, but it kind of checks out because like oh, yeah. he keeps on making shit up. Like mm-hmm. By the end of the movie, he's a Medal of Honor winner that's being unfairly like, I don't think he won the Medal of Honor for whatever he did in France. Uh, he he's, you know, like he just is making all these outlandish claims. He's there's a weird energy between him and his boy, too, like um, sure. like some some kind of pride mixed with shame that his son is like eclipsing him. Mm-hmm. And but also this like proud defiance that he's sticking it to the man. It's a really interesting complex, but I like the idea that like Frank Jr. and Frank's wife are kind of like victims of these confidence scams, too, that like he's always just puffed himself up, puffed himself up until he ran out of runway. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and how that would that's 
Yeah, hundred percent. So, so, so here. Leo, like trying to chase his father's accomplishments that were also fraudulent, leads yeah. him into a fraudulent life. I think that's really fascinating material. And his um, kid is definitely more successful at it than he is. Um, I don't think Frank Abagnale Sr. ever had four million dollars at a time. Suitcases full of money. I think he was like living at his means. Um, you know, he's got a stationery store or whatever. Like that's not going to bring yeah. in that kind of money, right? He was successful enough to make a life. Uh, yeah, his son is making uh, ten lives. <laughs> literally, yeah. he's Walter. He's the Walter White of, of check fraud and, and check yeah. cashing schemes. Um, I why that's an interesting scene. That that scene where um, because because at this point in his career, he's like we um like every single time he feels the heat. Like he runs this airline scam. That's like his first one. Mm-hmm. You know, because like uh, first he tries to do this basic check kiting one hundred and one. You know, write a check at one bank, deposit it, then write a check at another bank, deposited it. And just kind of like, you know, since banks at that time were actually mailing checks around and moving things around manually, it's like you had a a week or two. Mm -hmm. He learned a few things about routing numbers. So the checks would go from New York all the way to California and he gave him two weeks of runtime. But then eventually he ran into like he'd gone to every bank in town and nobody like he kept on half news fake IDs. And, um, you know, then he's like, OK, I, I need a persona where people just wouldn't even cross their mind. Yeah, uh, that that I'm I'm fraudulent. He, he hits on like these kind of archetypes like airline pilots who were kind of like these larger than life heroic figures back in the, you know, post World War Two period. Doctors, lawyers. Uh, and he's got this situation with Amy Adams where, you know, he's convinced people that he's a doctor and the, the movie gets real sketchy here because someone could die. And I, I in, in one point he makes it points out in the book that um, he got in a situation that really scared him, that he thought he might end up killing somebody because he was the attending doctor at this graveyard shift at his podunk hospital. And every once in a while, you know, you might have to save the the, the residents there don't know what the fuck to do and you have to do something. Yeah. But he's got this thing where he does have suitcases full of like banded up money. Mm-hmm. Why didn't he ever just try to go legit at some point uh, or stop scamming? I was just thinking like, go, go to, go to Cuba. You've got, you've got $1.4 million. Go to Cuba. Just, just retire there. Like go to South America, go to uh, the Philippines. I don't know. Go somewhere and just retire. Get out of this. It, there's yeah. an addiction to it though. I think certainly it's not just that. S- you have nothing and you want to make something it's it's that there's an excitement to it and you get addicted to that lifestyle you can tell like when he's walking down the street in that pilot's uniform and everybody is turning their head right and they're looking at him this is the cadillac that his dad had right the fancy house that his dad had Mm. that people getting the respect from people i think is the thing that is really pushing him forward and that excitement of like there's also something about the chase like he wouldn't call Hanratty on Christmas Eve if he mm. didn't enjoy the chase a little bit. And fundamentally just very lonely. You know, like there's that yeah. one point where it's great where Tom Hanks realizes, like, why are you calling me on Christmas? I know it's because you've got nobody. Yeah. Uh I'm the closest thing to a friend you've got. Um and that's where a lot of the like the Christmas flavor because I I'm not making it up. Like twenty percent of his movie is Christmas. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know, yeah, at, at least, least maybe twenty Christmases. maybe I at least four, maybe five full on Christmas music lights, Christmas trees, the works. Um, but there is that like thrill of the chase because Tom Hanks towards the end of the movie when it turns out, of course, he is caught because he's make you know, you, you know it like a life of crime. It's like, uh, you know, there's old criminals, bold criminals. Uh, there's no bold old criminals. Well, Leonardo proves that in this movie and at the end where he's caught. He's been in prison for a few years. Uh, Tom Hanks has worked to get him uh, like on a work release program where he serves out the rest of the term at the FBI. And there's a lot of, you know, this is where Spielberg really shines, like the way he just effortlessly tells the internal feelings of Leonardo's character. Frank got the 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 Venetian blinds are shining on his face, putting bars on him, uh, giving him convict stripes. Uh, and he's feeling like really hemmed in and he he goes to pull one last heist and and Tom Hanks meets him at the airport and it's like, come on, Frank, you're going to be back on Monday. And he's like, why do you think that? He's like, because nobody's chasing you because mm-hmm. he does. He's got there's no way there's nowhere he can go uh, without instantly being caught. He's got no more runway. And sure enough, 
he shows back up the next Monday and he transmutes the thrill of the chase into the thrill of the hunt. And then he becomes, he serves out by all accounts, the rest of his, his life and civilian service being one of the foremost experts on catching check fraud and beefing up security systems. And yeah, all that stuff. I'm torn on this kind of stuff. Um, Not so much that, like, I think that's actually a useful thing to put the, to your skills to, but I don't know in a weird way. It's like, Oh, you can be such a successful criminal that you have a job waiting for you. If you're good enough at it, like it's, it's real weird in that way. And it gets even grosser. And here's the part where I draw the line is Mm -hmm. profiting off of the crime in the future by selling rights to your story by, you know, being, uh, invited to speak at conferences about these things. Like that's where things get icky to me is if I I don't know. I almost feel like if there ought to be a law where (laughs) if you get convicted of a crime, you cannot sell the rights to that. It becomes like public domain or something to where you don't actually profit off of it. And I think with like criminal criminal, like not white collar civil criminals, that is the case because like, you know, um, I know OJ Simpson draw a huge distinction. Like, you're going to tell I me like, yeah, bankrupting pension funds. Uh, on yeah, the no, Wall no, no, I'm, I'm not going. I, I was just the same because I'm going to I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to get okay. around to agreeing with you. But because like, I know that like uh, O.J. Simpson, the, the family of uh, Nicole Brown was able to take all of his profits from his book. Uh, I know that like okay. Manson was always trying to make a buck after his uh, off of his thing. And like they were the, the victims are always able to garnish all that kind of stuff. So, hey, you want to make some money for the victims? Go go for it. Sure. I do think it's different here because it's a kid. And also, but the thing that's galling is like, imagine if every kid that gets mixed up in a life of crime out of desperation or loneliness or whatever got taken in by a kindly police officer and given uh, a, a mission and a purpose and a second chance right, to pay back society. It's like, it's like, I'm not even mad because I'm like, this is, a, yeah, re- re- rehabilitative justice, you know, like you mm-hmm. turn a person that was like going to steal and take everything to a person that's producing um and helping helping people in society that's like the golden standard the the thing that's galling is yeah you know if he was uh, making do by selling dime bags of weed especially if he was black uh he wouldn't get the tom hanks kindly fbi agent taking you under the wing because we bonded over right. our christmas chats treatment you know so it's like yeah i think that's that's actually aspirational for the justice system it's just such an outlier in how things get treated that it seems and 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 also america's fuck the reason that he got that is because the almighty dollar like he can help right. these guys save banks and companies and all these other the you know so and like i said I'm, I'm kind of okay with that part like if you want to you know do do something good with the skills that you've acquired at that point that's fine i'm just when it comes to profiting yeah making money off the crimes the crimes themselves right like oh i'm selling the stories of these crimes and making money off that that should probably not be allowed yeah um i really like they show the i mean this is spielberg is so good at visual storytelling like there's entire stretches of the movie where you're just watching leo um like probe at weaknesses and discover new tricks and get doors slammed in his face but then learn how to open mm-hmm. those doors and these like really cool montage sequences there's like four or five of them um and it's it's they, they work because Leonardo DiCaprio is it turns out is a really good actor this is one of the movies that started turning me around cuz i hadn't seen yeah. gangs in new york yet that probably would have turned it but i'm like well this is a pretty boy actor you know this is like a jason priestley type uh, I, I don't know if I'll ever take him seriously as an actor. Um, and then I took him seriously at this. I'm like, OK, this is a guy who can act. Mm-hmm. But I also wondered, like, well, is he ever going to like be able to take on like. Like a man role, like not like a boy role or something like that. Right. And then yeah. like he started creating, you know, turns out he 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 starts uh, like looking older and uh-huh. like he That's I feel thing. like he's kind of. He's kind of like a modern De Niro at this stage in his career. Like Aviator is the one I remember Aviator and the yeah. Departed are the ones that I'm like, oh, yeah, he's just actually going to fucking be like, I'm going to watch this guy in his 70s and 80s, probably. Yeah, uh, he's like a Jack Nicholson, uh, Robert De Niro type. Paul Newman, um, sure. Yeah. Which is really amazing, given that he started as like this kind of heartthrob, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, um, all over so the cover, of like I, a Seventeen magazine or whatever, and just yeah, Teen Beat, all t- Tiger Beat, whatever they were. Um, I, I think he did have like a, a sort of extended 
boyish career because of his looks. Sure. You know, I mean, he's he's a really good looking guy, but he looks very young. So, yeah. Yeah. There's also just like the the mechanics of it. Like I love like the you know, his first scam involved. It's like soaking bathtubs full of Pan Am planes to get the uh, decal off so he could make the check look official. And how he's like, you know, making the typewriter look sloppy like it would be a mass produced check. There's mm-hmm. also just like, man, Spiel, again, Spielberg is so fucking great. There's this scene where you see tellers like counting out money. And at first they start off with Washington's and it goes to Lincoln's and then it goes to Jefferson's and it goes to Benjamin's and it just effortlessly shows how his scams are going up in complexity and scale yeah. uh, because of the That's amount cool. of the checks he's able to cash. It's like, it's, it's, it, you know, like I never noticed this when I watched it 15 years ago, but now it's like, God damn Spielberg is like the master of the inset shot and a master of the visual storytelling. Like, I don't even know how, like there's this one scene in the movie where, um, I think it's at the end, like on one of the final Christmases where he got arrested in Paris. He got extradited back to America. He escaped from the plane on the tarmac of the JFK International Airport, runs home to his mom's house. But then the cops saw and like or maybe it's the yeah, but but there's the POV shot of Frank where he's like kind of like you desperately like glancing around trying to look for a way out, doesn't see any. Like he's just so good at doing that stuff that like you don't even notice it, but it does so much to like put you in the POV. It's a POV shot, put you into the POV of Frank uh, Abagnale. Um, it's great. Yeah, that that plane escape scene is so good, and Tom Hanks is excellent. Like when he's climbing, the, one of my favorite shots in this whole movie is he's climbing into the toilet cavity on this airplane, shouting Frank. <laughs> he's like, uh huh. I don't know. He he goes all the way in too. He's he's committed. Yeah, uh, yeah. You talked about he can't be you know, humiliated again. This kid's humiliated him on like three separate occasions. And like, can oh, you yeah. imagine the humiliation here? Yeah. Um. But yeah, Steven Spielberg is so good. And I I wonder. So there are a few shots in this movie where um Frank Jr. is shown like peeling bottles off of labels and then at the end when um or toward the end when you know he's at the uh new orleans estate whatever and they're they're there to hunt him down and he's upstairs panicking with the the bags of money or you know brief briefcases of money tom hanks picks up one of the bottles that he's peeled the label off of and looks at it and i get the feeling that like they're doing more with these labels than just oh this is a trail that we know you know, Frank pulls labels off bottles. It's more like representative of what he's doing in his life. Like he's peeling the labels off of himself, right? Becoming, becoming nothing to become anything uh, he wants. Um, Or like, it's also reminiscent of a lot of the techniques that he used to forge checks, right? Like peeling labels off of the planes to put onto the checks, Um, just peeling numbers, scratching numbers off of checks, letters and stuff like that. It it all feels mm-hmm. like of a piece to me. Yeah. I also think that like, cause I was trying, cause there's so many emphasis on him peeling labels off of things. And I thought like, I didn't yeah. even get it from that, but I'm also like, well, maybe that's like, like practice, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, like if you practice picking locks, you, I, I, I hear the people that are do it professionally, the guys on YouTube, like they'll literally have locks in their lap while they're watching TV and they're just picking locks all the time. Like, yeah, he, yeah cuts pictures out of things and get cellophane off of things. And like, he's like, if he sees a label, he just like, you know, unconsciously starts peeling it to try to get it perfectly off just because that's like a useful skill that he's just practicing in a, in kind of a mechanical way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also works in, in, in the layer type situation. Let's pause here and take a quick break. Okay. We're back. And I have a question. Were there any points in the movie that like you started to get uncomfortable um, oh, yeah. With um, the like like the scam, because I've got a couple. Well, uh, oh, not with the scam itself necessarily, but uh, I got uncomfortable when I sat before I sat down to watch this movie because mm-hmm. I a thing I had forgotten about this movie is he's supposed to be like 16 in this movie. Right. And I remembered that he made love to several women oh, in this Jesus, movie. Yeah. And, and yeah. every time I was like, oh, no, <laughs> he gets paid four hundred dollars to sleep with Jennifer Garner at one point. And I I was like, oh, God, you don't know what you're in for here. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, I don't. That's an interesting moral calculus, because um, that's one of the scenes that made me uncomfortable from a position of like because like 
I clearly remember uh, when I saw that movie, like, yeah, fuck yeah, this is cool. There's this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hooker and she's trying to like inflate the numbers up and take advantage. And he's like, you know, and they have this like repeating thing where every time he suggests doing one thing and the person that he's scamming tells them, well, actually, you should just go do here and you'll get more. And he's like, even better. Yeah. And when he's negotiating with her and he's like, I don't. I, don't, I, I you want a thousand dollars on have the fourteen hundred dollar check and she's like well I'll just I'll just pay you four hundred dollars cash and you give me the check and he's like even better the backstory of Jennifer Garner's character is that she was like a child model and like a failed actor that has kind of fl- cl- f- you know crashed and flamed and is 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 now you know sex working hooking on the side to like make ends meet mm-hmm you know, trading on like, you know, how much how how much time can a woman sell her body? Like, that's the sad truth. Like, there's a shelf life to that stuff. Mm-hmm. And like it, it kind of curdled the scene a little bit that he is taking advantage of ex- essentially the female version of him. You know, sure. Like at the end of the day. Yeah, she paid this kid four hundred dollars to sleep with her. Um, and that felt like because, again, most of the people he takes advantage of are faceless corporations that have mm-hmm. lots of money. They're probably taking advantage of tons of people. I'm not saying this that makes the morality right. I'm just saying that it's what makes it, you know, watchable. It's like this, this is why he's not Al fucking Capone, right? Yeah. Um, he's not machine gunning people. He's not stealing from old ladies and all that. But this is like the one scheme that 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 made me cringe. And also poor Amy Adams. Yeah. You know, who is another person who, much like him, is a youth that made a few mistakes, if you want to call them that, uh, has been disowned by her parents, is like working as a candy striper, volunteer at this hospital to try to like get a job to make ends meet, not having a very success with that. This guy comes in, sweeps her off her feet, fixes her relationship with her parents, worms their way into the family, and then drops this fucking bomb. And the idea like the when I was watching the scene the, the, the next day at the airport where he's like, you know, you got to go to Miami International and you got to take this and you got to do all that. And she's done it all. And he's like, ah, it's worked out. But then he starts seeing the fingerprints of the FBI in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt sad because I feel like Amy Adams character is going to blame herself forever for this guy running away. Because, you know, she her parents probably leaned on her to working with the cops and she probably is always going to imagine, first of all, the way her dad and mom are probably going to blame her for being so stupid. hundred going to blame them for embarrassing the family. She's going to be right back outside the family and she's going to always mm-hmm. think about, oh, my God, what if I was in Brazil with the love of my life? Which probably was always just a fantasy. Yeah. But those are the times where I felt like, God damn, the victim is not a faceless corporation. It's a real human being that's in a pitiable state and you're fucking them. Yeah. Sometimes, well, literally, literally, uh, <laughs> right, and that's where it's like, yeah, as a, it's like I didn't notice that as a four, 24 year old man, but as a forty four year old man, I'm like, ah, oh, damn, that kind of sucks, dude. That's that's rough. Yeah, no, it's one thing to you know take advantage of of bank teller um, for like a night, right? Uh, get two checks cashed and then one roll in the hay. Um, it's another thing to essentially cement this girl's status in her family as the black sheep um yeah i, as, I don't know like, that you come back from this with a guy like martin sheen plays in this movie mm-hmm. um i i don't know they don't they, they they pivot from there right it goes back to the fun and games right right back into oh well we're gonna we're gonna create this pan am uh recruit program and that's gonna be my shield to get into the airport and out of the country and th- which is also kind of gross. He's using these women. The, oh, they're, sure, they're, they're, sure. The pin, they're the pinstripes on the Yankee uniform that everybody can't help but look at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the way that they like play with time here is interesting. Like Spielberg just kind of rolls it from the day that Amy Adams is supposed to show up and meet him and run away with him mm-hmm. into what must be weeks of preparation. Right. And the whole time we're seeing it as if it's one contiguous thing at the airport. And on his side, we're seeing sort of these chopped up weeks. And then he comes back probably weeks later and, and makes his escape. I see. I don't know that I agree with that. Like, I know it stretches the credibility, but I kind of think you're supposed to feel like that. He called up the high school, say, I'm a pilot recruiter from Pan Am. Call a convocation for me. Show up that day. Grab the girls with the uniform. Like, I think he had like that ready to go. Because like 
it doesn't make sense for mm. them to stake out Miami International for weeks in this context because Frank could be halfway around the country. He like, you know, but well, but also it doesn't make sense for Frank to do that. It's a to Carl. There's right? an arrogance. Says, there's a defiance. Uh, he's not yeah. in the York because I'm not in the York, right? Right. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah, in. Yeah, my, yeah. I'm not in whatever. And an arrogance to to Frank because he could go to any fucking airport in the country within an easy drive of this place, and he chooses to go. Like I'm going. Like yeah, yeah. I'm going to show you people. You're ready for me. There's a lot of defiance. Like. One of my favorite scenes is Tom Hanks defiantly eating a uh, an eclair. <laughs> yeah, I, that <laughs> literally Boston I was accent. sitting there during that screen, yelling at the screen, "Eat it all, you coward! Eat yeah, it, eat it, yeah. put it in your I mouth." Wa- I want, yeah, I want you to go Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. Just this middle aged man throwing caution to the wind, just like spite yep. eat this eclair in this little kid's face. It's just got um, one bite left. Right, but like, every time I start feeling bad about Leo, I just like they have a scene that reminds me of like he is I don't know if you can say a victim of circumstance but I also don't think that you can call like an 18 year old like a like a free moral agent especially if they've been living the last three years on the lamb like that one Christmas I think it was the third Christmas he calls uh, Carl and he says I just I just want this to be over stop chasing me like I don't I don't want to do this anymore and he's like you stolen four million dollars like right what do you think is going to happen there's no this is so and there's another scene like this keeps escalating like you know they go to his parents they're like oh how much trouble he could be and the the mom is like oh yeah i've been working uh the sunday bake sale i got a little bit extra money i'll just write a check how much do i owe you he's like it's at 3.1 million and climbing and she's just like fucking stunned because yeah there's there's no way you're walking out of here uh scot-free and you know, um, there's a this movie is also structured brilliantly uh, starts with like this. What is that? The mystery date game. Uh, oh, yeah. I which don't remember the name then of it. And, and like it's like a nice setup for like, you know, this guy being a confidence man. You almost forget by the end of the movie that it starts this way. And then it slams to. And I think we've talked about this in in uh, Un Profit or wasn't it about like. Man, prisons around the world are scary places. Mm-hmm. Like, I know America's got its problems, but holy shit, this rat infested dungeon that they got him thrown in in France um, was was especially scary. They don't they're not giving him access to doctors, etc. Um, they, they 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 and you just keep remembering like this is just a kid. This is just a kid. Uh, it's it's really it's really effective. And again, Spielberg's so good because like this is I, I'm. I'm thinking about all these stuff as very heavy subjects, but this film never is buoyed down by them. No, they no. never, it never sinks and stops moving forward and being fun because he's just so good at this. He's so good at setting the tone and, and dealing with this stuff and, and uh, making you love it, making you love watching the film. I also really liked at the end when Leo's kind of run out of room, he run out of rope. He's at uh, Mont Richard, Mont Richard, his mom's old village. And he's got this like, two ton industrial check printing process. He's going to print. He's going to make himself a fucking fraudulent billionaire by the, the, and Tom Hanks walks in alone, shuts it down. And like Frank sees the con everywhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want me to cuff yourself? Oh, you got your squad outside. Oh, they're going to kill me. Ah, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good scam for it, but I'm not buying it. You're going to have to catch me. And Tom Hanks is pleading with him. It's like, these people are angry. There's no due process here. I'm here as a courtesy. If you walk, if you run out of this building, you're going to get cut down by a bunch of angry French people. Um, and he, he bought it's, it's weird because it is a confident scam in a way, like to get this person who's so distrustful is always looking for the angle to actually believe you like, no, no son, I'm actually trying to save your life. And he does. And there's that split second where even I'd forgotten when they walk out to the empty square and I'm like, Oh, fucking Tom rolled this guy. Uh, it's hard and to then, say. like, yeah, because they put then up. all the police. Yeah, all the police come in and like, yeah, like, no, I obviously. Yeah, he would have gotten beaten, shot. Who knows? Like, this yeah. was a manhunt uh, that, you know, had had not happened be- be- before now, because <laughs> um, I think he's 21 at this point. So, like, from the French, the, he's no longer an adorable child that he's been chasing. And, oh, he's Barry Allen from the Flash comic books. This is just an adult that came from America and is stealing from their countrymen. Uh, and then running an international check fraud scheme. Uh, and he's going to get big people punishment. Um, and it's, uh, it's sad. It's sad, but really effective is just how, like, um, I don't know. There's a lot of shades in like, uh, 
I wish I could watch this movie three more times because there's really something they're doing with the relationship between him and Christopher Walken and him and Tom Hanks. Like his final meeting is a lot more frantic and, you know, adrenaline packed. But like there's a lot of Frank meeting his dad for lunch um, with that energy bringing into Frank getting brought in by Carl at that, 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 well, I guess second to last time. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing is like, I think they also sold the genuine kind of friendship and camaraderie that Carl and Frank felt over the years. Apparently that's legit. Like, uh, that's something that, uh, I said in many sources that like these guys were friends, you know, got to be kind of close. Um, yeah. What a wild, what a, I don't know. Again, don't know how much of this stuff is true. Um, I guess a lot of the actual crime details, because one of the other things I, I saw um, Frank, Frank David interviewed in 2015 talking about this. And he asserted, of course, again, confidence man, uh, that the FBI, uh, he wasn't involved in making the movie, but the FBI was because the FBI was kind of concerned that they came off looking well and didn't look like fools and all that stuff. And I guess a lot of the crime stuff was kind of signed off by the FBI. So which they make him yeah. look a little inept. Um, even Hanratty at times uh, looks foolish. Um, you know, I mean, it starts his, like the first encounter he has with with uh, Frank. He's made to look yeah. like an extreme fool. Uh, but then, like, also they're not taking their job seriously. They don't know how to work the projector. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I can't tell if it's like underfunding or just incompetence um, that we're talking about. Like, is that a busted projector that they're fighting with, or is that an idiot who doesn't know how to operate a simple projector? I think a little bit because like, yeah, you get this idea. This bank fraud is just like the no one. This is where they send. This is like that uh, department underground in season one of The Wire where they just send all the burnouts and rejects and the people that, you know, got in trouble with the department supervisors. This is like you don't get to chase bank robbers. You don't get to work kidnapping. You're just you're just chasing down routing numbers now, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Um. And again, that's the thing is like, I don't like, I don't ever think Tom Hanks looked like a fool. I mean, he kind of does, but like, yeah, that's that secret service thing was so seat of his pants and so ballsy that like, I can see a lot of people getting because the thing and, 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 and what made it work is like, you can see Tom Hanks is like, I'm not taking a gun off you. This is a bunch of shit. And then he's like, oh, there's my partner taking the guy into custody. And it like. How, what are the odds you know and then he's like hey Murph and these guys like he looks up he's like yeah to make sure the LAPD know we're blah it's I mean what would you do like you yeah, yeah at some point like because again you know and that's this works against them sometimes and in, in law enforcement there is this kind of like camaraderie and it's kind of like rude to uh, suspect your brothers in arms and like it's like are you going to be the asshole that looks at my ID after all this and if you are that asshole and you're wrong you're never going to live it down you're already working in a joke department but yeah he does get humiliated but like only in the eyes of his boss because as as a person watching the movie I always felt like well this is the cat and mouse game and you're chasing a really smart cat mm-hmm. or I'm sorry you're chasing a really smart mouse but um yeah but uh it's a good movie it's uh it's 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 a, r- a real fun one. It's, it's like I couldn't believe after it was done because like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to have because I didn't look at the runtime. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have like two and a half, three hours this morning to do stuff. And uh, I at the end, it's like, oh, I only have an hour and a half before this is called because this movie is two and a half hours long. Holy shit. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. It never feels like that. It feels I know. like a feature, a standard feature length film, hour and a half, hour 40. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, something like that, an hour 45, something, but like two and a half hour movie, and it does not feel like it. It's definitely worth your guys' time. It's coming up on its 20th anniversary. Um, had a lot of a lot of good memories for me, and it's really, again, really great performances from very young people that you're going to be seeing a lot of, you know, in, in the coming decade or two, so... That's it for Catch Me If We Can. We caught it. We caught it. We caught we caught it. Uh, we could. We did. Uh, you also caught my respect, Leo, in this movie. Next time, we're going to be doing uh, on Bald Move Prestige the uh, social network. I don't know if you guys know, but Facebook has become a thing. Uh, there's been a lot, of mo- there are a lot of years between this movie and where we're at in present day. I haven't seen this movie since it came out in theaters, and I remember really liking it. Um, this was pre-Bald... Like, post bald move but pre us doing like movies and television shows so like i'm very curious to see uh how this portrayal of zuckerberg and his company has aged yeah. in the past 
15 years or so. It'll be very interesting. Hope you uh, join us for that one. Uh, until next time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you, everybody.